Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Happy New Year, and we are back. A little bit later than we thought. We had planned to have a couple of podcast episodes last week, but illness got in the way, and illness is one of the stories we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I am Chris Quinn. Back here with my colleagues, Leila Tassi, Lisa Garvin, and Laura Johnston. I hope you got to enjoy the holiday, even though I know that illness affected some of your festivities. Y'all feeling good today? I think we're ready for routine. At least my kids were definitely ready for the routine again. Okay, so you can hear the illness in Lara's voice. Layla, let's hear from you. Oh, God. My my whole face is just like swelled (laughs) up. (laughs) I feel like neck up is awful. (laughs) Yeah. Lisa, I hope you you survived the holiday. Oh, yeah. I mean, none of us got sick. Not my mother, not my brother. Nobody in my circle got sick. How nice. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my son's whole family got COVID. My wife has been sick for a long time, and and it's not we're not rare. Apparently, lots of people got sick. The past couple of weeks have been a tsunami of unusual weather, travel, and illness. At least from what we can see, Monday brought word of a new Omicron variant storming in the United States. So how bad are the numbers just now for COVID and the flu, Lisa? Yeah, things are starting to tick up a little bit, according to the Centers for Disease Control data. There's a new Omicron subvariant, XBB.1.5. It, it accounts for 40% of the confirmed cases in the U.S., and it's doubled since last week. And they think that about 75% of cases in the Northeast section of the country are this variant, subvariant, XBB.1.5. Its origin is, is unclear, although I did read this morning that they think it originated here in the United States. It doesn't appear to be more severe at this point, but it does appear to be more contagious, and they think that it might have some immune evasive properties as well. And we're still kind of in a triple-demic in Ohio, although RSV is declining. Numbers are still high, according to Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff with the Ohio Department of Health. Still a risk, he says. The flu got off to a fast early start in the country. Hospitalizations are down both locally and nationally, but activity is still high in Cuyahoga County. We've had 500 people hospitalized for flu in Cuyahoga and two deaths. Flu shots, though, are looking good. They're actually at pre-pandemic levels, so that's a good uh that's a good indicator. And peaks and valleys are expected in flu through March, so we're not really out of the woods yet. As far as COVID goes, 
cases have increased recently. Uh, most of Northeast Ohio counties are yellow, which means moderate spread. Hospitalizations statewide are about 600 a week. And that's better, though, than the previous December. So right now in the week ending uh, 1229, we have 13,000 people that have been, you know, confirmed cases and hospitalizations have gone up from thir- from 867 to over 1300 now. Well, it's also all the unnamed bugs that are out mm-hmm. there. I had a, a very, a, a, a light head cold last week. My wife got the same thing, got seriously ill. We're burning through COVID tests because the first thing you think if you have symptoms is, do I have COVID? And I think a lot of people are doing that. I mean, Layla, you believe right now you're suffering through a head cold, but you're probably burning up tests. And Laura, you had laryngitis when I talked to you last week, made me feel terrible, but it wasn't COVID, right? It was not COVID. I mean, so I, I'm not testing myself every day. I figure it's the same thing and it's gotten better. And, you know, you think about the things that you know how COVID is, but it feel like all of the symptoms are always changing. And so you're always like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, my, my son's family got hit pretty hard by it. And they had been, you know, two and a half, three years without getting it. It seems like it it walloped a lot of people, probably affected a lot of Christmas celebrations. I'm keeping people out of the office this week because I'm so worried of all the exposures that happened over the past two weeks will incubate. And if we keep people home to burn through it, then we won't have a super spreader event in our in our newsroom, but we'll be back in next week. You know, I just want to say, so my our all five of the members of our family had COVID over the holidays for the first time. And, and as far as the kids were concerned, it barely registered as, a, as an illness for them. They were so, they just, it was maybe a day of fatigue and then they were past it. My husband and I had a harder time, but RSV is the thing. Man, do they need an RSV vaccine? That is, that would be a game changer. I think that's the worst illness I've ever seen any of my kids get. It is so devastating for a little one. So I hope that I saw something that Pfizer has been working on that. I, I can't wait to, for that to hit the market. It's, it's so scary. Well, I hope I hope you all got to salvage some kind of holiday outside of all the illness. It's a story I'm sure we'll continue to follow in 2023. You're listening to Today in Ohio. As we said in our final episode of 2022, Metro Health did release the executive pay and bonuses. Too late for us to discuss them, but as we promised, we're talking about them now. Layla, what did we learn from the public records we finally received at the tail end of the year? Well, we learned that in his last year, Boutros approved $2.6 million in supplemental bonuses for his, his executive team. And of course, he took home the biggest piece of that pie with $457,000 and well, $457,664. Just to remind everybody, you know, Boutros was fired just weeks before he was supposed to retire from Metro Health because the board of trustees said that that over a period of years he had had given himself 1.9 million dollars in unauthorized bonuses based on his own self-evaluation and and criteria that he created for himself and that nearly doubled his salary in some years and it exceeded his salary in other years he gave the largest bonuses to his chief financial officer Craig Richmond, he got $161,000 and change. Nabil Chahad, the chief clinical transformation officer, got $125,000. And outgoing chief of staff, Jane Platten, got just a little over $105,000 in, in bonuses. Between 2017 and 21, 
20 executives got payments under that bonus system. And the hospital says that that, you know, did make those executives pay comparable with other nonprofit hospitals across the country. So that's that's not really controversial because Boutros actually did have the power to authorize those bonuses. He just he just wasn't allowed to set his own salary and bonuses. And the board says that he purposely hid some of his own bonuses from the board. Well, a couple of things come out of this. I think we ran a letter to the editor, at least I heard from people making the argument that there shouldn't be bonuses. You should pay people the flat rate for the job. It should be very transparent. If you do the work, you you, you should have the salary. And they, they pointed out at the Cleveland Clinic that there is no bonus system. Um, these are also public employees. They all are in the state public employee retirement system, which people in regular life are not. So when they compare themselves to others, they, they, you know, always forget to mention, oh, we also are in this very nice pension system that's not available to a lot of other hospitals. It's only for public hospitals. It's not just for nonprofit hospitals. It's only for public hospitals and Metro Health's the only one. So there ought to be a rethinking of that. And one of the letter writers of the people running said, yeah, they always say we hired a salary consultant and this is what the salary consultant said. And their point was, that's why you hire salary consultants. So you have cover to do this kind of thing and that the board should be just taking ownership of it. The second thing is people are asking us, have you looked at the contracts? Is there a hidden bonus here where they all have golden parachutes, where if the new CEO decides these people should be gone, Mm -hmm. that they get another big payout? So that's our next step. We're going to have to look at the contracts and figure out if there is a separate bonus clause that takes care of them. Uh, I I understand why it took them so long to give us these records. It makes them look terrible. Uh, I think most people who read that story were aghast at the dollar amounts they see floating around, and the justifications do ring a bit hollow. Of course, Akram Butchash, we should say, argues that he did nothing wrong. He has filed multiple lawsuits now and is claiming he's owed millions of dollars. I think those millions of dollars might be because of a golden parachute clause (laughs) in his contract, which would be interesting. Yep, yep, yep. I'm looking forward to that next installment. I agree that that the bonus system is so non-transparent and and for you know uh, an institution like Metro Health to have that set up in that way is is uh, it, it needs to be re- rectified. All right, you're listening to today in Ohio. One of the more outrageous stories from the break came from the Ohio Supreme Court. It turns out that the city of Cleveland illegally collected traffic camera fines from a bunch of people, but the court has come out with a preposterous reason for why the city does not have to pay the money back. Laura, what is it? Because the drivers never contested the tickets. And this was between 2005 and 2009. The motorists paid the fines. They didn't dispute them. So this $4.1 million the city of Cleveland gets to keep. So I guess, you know, Cleveland's going to be pretty happy with uh, state government for once, letting them keep this money. But this is a 4-3 ruling. New Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy wrote for the majority. Former Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor dissented, along with Jennifer Bruner, who also ran for Chief Justice. So this case has been going on for 13 years. That was way before Cleveland residents voted in 2014 to shut down this traffic camera uh, program altogether. So It's not something we see now 
getting, but you know, you'd remember uh, the traffic cameras that would be at all these intersections and get you for blowing through a red light or for speeding. I definitely got one on Chester at one point. Well, I don't want to make this an argument about traffic cameras because there are arguments for and against them. Mm-hmm. But but it is ridiculous to me that Cleveland, it did illegally get that money. They Those tickets were not legal tickets. People don't know that when they get them. You get a ticket, you pay the ticket. You mm-hmm. don't know what the law is. And for Sharon Kennedy to say, well, you didn't appeal it, too late, statute of limitations is gone, they get to keep the money, is scary. And I asked the question this morning. We're going to have to do a story on this. We all applied for refunds for the 2021 income taxes we paid to Cleveland, but the legislature did not pass a law that says you have a right to your 2020 income taxes when you are working from home. So there are lawsuits about that. But most of us never filed refunds for 2020, right? Because the law didn't say you were entitled to them Mm -hmm. yet. What's the statute of limitations on filing for the income taxes? Because if they follow this same logic, if you haven't filed for that refund, even if the courts say that was an unconstitutional taking of your money, you won't get it back. So I think we're going to have to do a story in which we end up suggesting everybody should file a, a refund for 2020 just in case the courts ultimately rule you should have that money back, right? Sure. Good luck to everybody who's filing for those refunds. I mean, I think a lot of people don't do it because it's a headache, right? And with a traffic ticket, it was like 80 bucks and they're like, whatever. With income taxes, we're talking about a whole lot more money. But you're right. This logic seems like it could stretch to a lot of things. And it's giving you a peek at what we're going to expect. Not that it changes the ruling of, you know, voting. Each justice gets one vote. But under Sharon Kennedy, what we're looking at. Yeah, it's very frightening. This is a wrongheaded ruling that that really it costs people four million dollars. And you're right, it's 80 bucks at a time. It's the ramifications it has for the income tax case, which could ultimately be a federal case because you could argue that's an illegal seizure. And this does overturn two lower court decisions that were in favor of the plaintiffs. So this has been going their way until it got to the Supreme Court. Yeah, I know. It's it was staggering when I saw that last week. I was shocked. It's today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. When is the last time Cleveland went as long as it has now without a U.S. attorney? And what is the last guy to hold the position, say the ramifications are of not having one? Lisa, this was a good story by Adam Faris. Yeah, the Northern District of Ohio, which comprises 14 northernmost counties in Ohio, they haven't had a U.S. attorney since Justin Herdman left in January of 2021. That's two years. It's the longest period in 70 years. The last time this happened was 1952 to 54. Ohio was without a U.S. attorney. In the meantime, they've had several assistant U.S. attorneys filling in. Currently, uh, the first assistant, uh, Michelle Bapler, 
Taylor has been doing it for several months, and she's one of many who have. Now, these are nominations that are made by President Biden on the recommendation of Ohio U.S. senators. Confirmation in the Senate does take months because they have to do a background check. They have to do interviews. And interesting, they have to list all addresses that they've lived at since the age of 18. I would have to think long and hard about that one. <laughs> wow. Um, but former U.S. Attorney Carol Rendon, we spoke to Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. She says that's a heck of a long time to not have a Senate-confirmed uh, U.S. attorney. She says it's very unusual. And she says it's critical to the legitimacy of the office to have a leader. And Justin Herdman, who was a Trump appointee, he said this could impact the larger policy and law enforcement agenda of the U.S. Attorney's Office because they seem leaderless. So, and, and we all know that there was a little bit of a flap last year because there was a woman, Marissa Darden, the first black win, woman to be confirmed by the Senate to be a U.S. attorney. She was confirmed in April, but then she had to withdraw three weeks later because the Associated Press came out with reports that she was at a party that was held by a disgraced DEA agent, Jose Irizarry, although she didn't you know, do any drugs or, or do anything. She was just at the party. So she decided to step down because of that. The, the, we had a story at the end of last year that said that this U S attorney's office had issued more search warrants than any other district in the country. And I wonder if that's related are, are these guys just out of control because mm. they don't have a leader all running away and doing their own thing because there's not a firm hand saying, no, this is our direction or maybe it's unrelated. Uh, I, I just, it's, you're, you're getting to the point where is somebody really going to want to take that job? Because if the administration changes in two years to Republican, you'd be out of a job in, in less than two years. It'll take a little while to get somebody appointed. I wonder if this continues for the next couple of years. Well, they do say that background checks are underway because they do take months. So they obviously have some nominees. The only name that's been thrown about right now is Rebecca Lutzko. They say that she's the front runner. She's currently head of the Cleveland uh, U.S. Attorney's Appellate Division. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Sports betting became legal in Ohio on Sunday. Laura, what did we see on the first day and how hard is Ohio coming down on the sports books that are flouting the rules? There was lots of betting on New Year's Day. That's when sportsbooks went live at midnight. So the parking lots at MGM Northfield Park and Jack Casino downtown, they were packed. That was according to Gretchen Kuda Crone, who our reporter on New Year's Day, who went out and basically saw for herself how how packed they were and how happy everybody seemed to be to be out and betting on games. And these pictures too, I mean, massive, massive screens showing multiple games at one time. These seats, these plush leather seats full of people cheering. And I, I mean, I got to say most of them were guys. I didn't see a whole lot of women in these pictures, but um, it, she says it's a bit like a movie theater married a sports bar and they moved into a casino together, which I really liked <laughs> her description of that. So the idea is that obviously you betting is now legal in Ohio. There's a lot of ways that you can bet. You can bet online, you can bet on an app, you can bet in these sports books. And it's changing people's relationship with sports. It's not, you don't just bet if you win or lose a game. Um, you, you, you can bet on the smallest thing about, you know, this touchdown or this pass or in baseball, if the next ball is going to be a strike. I mean, it's crazy how much you can bet on and how many things you can, you know, put together to make a bigger bet. And 
I mean, it's a lot to learn. I read Mark Bona's 101 explainer on all of these things. And I was like, mind is just trying to catch up with the words on all of these things. But it seems like people were really excited for it to come and, and they, they're betting. Yeah, the the idea that people watched the ball drop and immediately turned to the terminals was hilarious in her story. I should point out we have a partnership with a sports betting firm that's interested in reaching our massive sports audience. We make some money on this as well. Yeah, uh, there the the sports books have some pretty strict rules they have to they follow. Do. Like they can't market to people under twenty one, and there's very specific advertising rules. And in the month or two leading up to January 1st, one, a couple of them got into trouble for going early. But then last week, there was a major kind of hammer falling on DraftKings. What did they do? Right. They could be fined $350,000 because the Ohio Casino Control Commission, which is taking this law very seriously, says it mailed 150,000 advertisements for the their betting app in November. Of those, 2,500 ads were directly addressed to people under the age of 21. So they put out a prepared statement. They said they don't take administrative active light action lightly and the conduct in the case warrants their intervention to ensure the integrity of sports gaming. So they also might have to put in some new procedures so that marketing materials are not directed at anyone whose age has not been verified. Uh, earlier in December, Barstool Sportsbooks got in trouble because of an event at the University of Toledo's campus. Think about it. Most kids in college are not yet 21. So advertising at or near college campuses against the rules, that case, there's a $250,000 fine that's being pursued. So I think these companies are realizing how serious the rules are and really trying to clamp down and follow every letter of the law so they don't get fined and they don't get in trouble and they can make money off this huge market we have in Ohio. Yeah, I can tell you from the communication I saw after the thing from last week, mm-hmm. they the message got through. They were scared. They were all changing the exact wording on the disclaimers they had that went with their their ads. And so I think it's a great sign. I'm, I'm glad that the, the Casino Control Commission is looking at this with a real tough mindset because problem gambling is, it can get worse if, if it's this isn't regulated closely. Uh, and again, the message got through. It scared everybody. So good stuff there. It's Today in Ohio. No sooner did we publish a story about Jonan Sinnenberg losing her judge's position in Cuyahoga County last week than she got another one. Layla, how long might she be on the bench this time? She has run for judge more than almost anybody <laughs> in history in Cuyahoga County. Yeah, it's it's tough to to be a candidate in Cuyahoga County if you're a Republican. So <laughs> that's what she's dealing with. She lost the November election narrowly to, to Cleveland City Councilman Brian Mooney. So she was in the twilight of her time on the bench, but now she'll get another, at least another two years, thanks to Governor Mike DeWine, who appointed her to a vacancy. This is a seat that became open after Judge Deborah Turner decided to run for a different open common pleas seat. She did that to try to stave off the mandatory retirement age by several years. Apparently, Turner is now able to hold on to her judicial career until 2029 instead of retiring in early 2025. So Sinnenberg will have to run for re-election in 2024. I'm sure she can't wait to just get back into the, uh, the campaigning. She's She's been on the bench for 16 years, but this was the second time that a Republican governor appointed her after she lost to a, to a Democratic challenger. This happened in early 2013 
Governor John Kasich at that time appointed Sinnenberg to to fill a vacancy after she lost the previous November election. You know, like I said, it's just it's hard being a Republican in Cuyahoga County. <laughs> well, she has won several elections, though. And I, is if my memory serves, the first time it was partly because of a campaign by then editorial board leader Brent Larkin, who thought that the person she was running against who had changed their name to a popular name mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. a carpetbagger. And so I, I, I think single-handedly Brent Larkin got voters to vote for her. And I think the next time she won, there was a there was a good amount of publicity. And I think the year she loses, there's not much publicity about the race. And so people vote the Democratic card. And so she loses. And it's sad because I don't think anybody thinks she's a bad judge. I think people respect her quite a bit. Oh, I mean, she's I mean, highly respected. Yeah. I mean, she I mean, she presided over the the recovery docket docket, which is specialized docket that the court created in 2015 for people who are charged with crimes who have drug addiction and trauma related mental health diagnoses and and you know they they give defendants grief counseling and other treatment to help them with the root cause of of why they ended up in court and Joan Sinnenberg has just the right touch for that kind of work I mean she is a really kind person and you know she said she told Corey Schaefer and for one of his stories that when when covid hit and shut down the courts for months. She called every person on that, uh, you know, every member of the court each week to check on them, and and she, you know, followed up with everyone on the the docket to make sure that they're doing okay. And um, you know, I I just I, I I've always respected Judge Sinnenberg during the years that I covered courts. Yeah, she does lots of good. I mean, she she's in behind book drives to get books to inmates in the jail. She does all sorts of things. I feel almost like we're culpable here because we didn't do enough to point it out that that there's a great judge and she's a Republican. So a lot of people will automatically vote against her. They ought to think about it. There wasn't that much publicity this time. And so this happened. And I just, I, f- I feel like we probably should do a better job just reminding people, hey, this is a Republican judge who you do like, that, that there's no need to vote the card here. Because she just goes through hell. The number in the, I can't remember what the number was, but she said most judges that have been a judge as long as she has have had a run for re-election twice. And I think she's run eight times. Wow. And it's just that's that would be hell. She said she had a great line. She goes, I feel like I'm a member of Congress because she's running for <laughs> office every two years. My gosh. And and that's such a distraction from the work on the bench, right? I mean, that's a big job. Well, the day our story appeared. Mike DeWine stepped up and appointed her. So that was good to see. Yeah. It's today in Ohio. We talked plenty about what the Ohio legislature did and did not do last year, but we've got a whole new cast there starting now. Lisa, what might we expect to see from this crew? Well, the 135th General Assembly begins today with the largest supermajority since 1967 of any party. The GOP controls 67 of 99 House seats and 26 of 33 Senate seats. We also have a new House Speaker, the Republican from Toledo, Derek Marin, who is known to be a flamethrower, so that should be interesting. Well, so he's the- got to win. He has a, he, he He got the the vote in a caucus, but they actually have to vote today. And there's always last minute maneuvering. So we'll have to see if he prevails. He should, but it's not, it's not a certainty yet. 
Uh, of course, the biggest thing on their plate is the two-year budget, which uh, has to be finalized by the end of June. The big question is, will the legislature continue to fund the Cup Patterson School Fair Funding Plan? Also on the docket is that 60% uh, majority needed to pass constitutional amendments by voters. Um, they have to pass some sort of legislation by February 1st to put that on the May ballot. Redistricting rears its ugly head again. New districts must be approved for 2024 because we operated under illegal maps the, in, in November. The General Assembly will be doing the con congressional district maps. The redistricting committee, which failed completely in their mission, will do the legislative maps. And of course, the check in the Supreme Court, Maureen O'Connor, is now gone. Uh, school voucher expansion is on the agenda. They're talking about a backpack bill. Any Ohio student can get a voucher scholarship through this bill. Uh, marijuana, the, there's a possibility that the Assembly may legalize recreational marijuana themselves in order to head off a November vote on the issue. There are two transgender bills being considered. One would, bander, one would ban gender reassignment surgery for minors, and another would ban transgender athletes from competing in girls' high school and college sports, transgender women, I should say. There's no such legislation for transgender men, obviously. And we'll stop there. There's a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if they follow through on the constitutional amendment thing. That has come to be viewed as such a craven political ploy by Secretary of State Frank LaRose. They might be afraid of it because if they do put it on the ballot, there's no end of groups from across the political spectrum, not just the left, and, and that will come out against it. And if you are behind that, that becomes baggage in future elections, this undemocratic push you did to remove the vote from the voters. I think Frank LaRose is so drunk with power that he overreached, and I'm not sure the people in the legislature stand with him. I think that's why they couldn't get it passed in the lame duck. The voucher uh, issue is one that's sure to be controversial because a lot of public schools feel like they're going to lose money. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of across the state opposition there is to that. Yeah. And, and another thing that could happen is, you know, there's been talk, it actually failed in the last session to either reduce or phase out the state income tax over 10 years, but they would have to find some way to make for the up for the $11 billion that they would lose. So that could lead to drastic spending cuts or the raising of other taxes. So we'll see if that comes up again this year. The other, the other element here is they're going to be talking about all this stuff while the trial of Larry Householder is going on, <laughs> offering the state a big insight into how state government works. So they're all going to be tainted by what's going on in that trial. It's supposed to last six weeks. It starts in a couple of weeks. We will have a reporter there. Jake Zuckerman will be there every day, gavel to gavel. Uh, and I think a lot of attention is going to be paid there. So they got to be careful about how they're maneuvering their sleazy bills when there's a lot of attention being paid to the sleaziest bill of all time. We'll see if that's a deterrent. I, I have my doubts, but we will see. <laughs> Such an optimist. It's a new year. Have some optimism. You're listening to Today in Ohio. And let's end on a high note. 
the first episode of 2023, we should all have some joy, right? Reporter Gretchen Crowen wrote a year-end story about joy, but because she's a health reporter, she wrote about the health aspects of it. Laura, what did she tell us? I think this is fascinating because I feel like we concentrate so much on the negative aspects of health caused by stress and anxiety. And we just, you know, you're like, please don't get stressed you know, deal with your anxiety and your health will be better. But joy can actually improve your health. And it's not just happiness. Joy is a burst of intense good feelings that make you want to jump up and down in exuberance. And apparently that jumping up and down feeling is part of the definition of joy. So it's that kid on Christmas morning feeling or your dog bounding down the beach. And basically by looking for moments of joy in your daily life, you can improve your health. And and it's not just a lack of an aspect of, of negative negativity, but that, you know, you're, you'd be eating healthier. You'd be getting better exercise. You'd be interacting with other people, all things that make you healthier. And it can be pretty simple as just looking for what makes you happy and then making that part of your everyday routine. Yeah. I got to spend some time with a three-year-old over the holidays. And after reading this story, I was alert to how many times that three-year-old would jump up and down for joy for the smallest of things. Layla, you must see this all the time, right? Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, she's a constant source of joy. But but also this story made me anxious that I don't get enough joy. <laughs> <laughs> but well, like, I, it's something they haven't studied a lot of, right? And I hope that, that we think about this more, that there's these 10 aesthetics of joy. It's energy, abundance, freedom, harmony, play, surprise, transcendence magic, celebration, and renewal. And if you think about it, when you are delighted by something you don't expect, that does really lift your spirit. So we got to figure out, we got to figure out a way to bring this to everybody. Well, I get a little bit of joy from working with you on this podcast. Looking forward to doing it for another year. It's Today in Ohio. That's it for the first episode of 2023. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. 